0: Let me pray as we come to them together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you again for your life-giving word this morning, and we pray that by your spirit to inspire these words who lives within us, that you might give us a deeper understanding of who you are and of your ways, that you might strengthen us in our love for you and service of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have promised that you will build your church. and we pray this morning you might be working deep within our hearts and lives, to your great delight and glory. Lord, challenge us where we need challenging. Encourage us and strengthen us where we need encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I wonder uh, what stories shape your life or what stories are you continually telling to others about your life? Our lives are shaped by stories. There might be the family traditions, the way you celebrate birthdays, Easter, Christmas is coming up, All those family stories that uh, seem to run on after year after year. So in our family, we know it's summer holiday when mum jumps into the pool fully clothed. uh, And we worry about dad booking places as once he booked what he thought was an amazing place, which was less than amazing. And in the days that followed, mum ended up with 109 bed bug bites from her bed on one arm. There are community stories as well that happen. It might have happened in your neighborhood, uh, in the flats that you live in, in your workplace. It might happen among the ethnic group. Uh, Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi, often speaks of how the Holocaust cast such a long shadow even today. And there are national memorials and stories that we long to remember for various reasons. South Africa loves its public holidays. I think we have some seven or eight public holidays, including Human Rights Day, Freedom Day, Workers' Day, Youth Day, National Women's Day, Heritage Day, Day of Reconciliation. UK next week will have Remembrance Sunday as we look back to uh, the wars and those who gave their lives. And of course, they're not only national memorials, but they're also narratives and discourses that go on, I think, globally now. Some of them around politics, who will be the next Prime Minister next week, the economy, sexuality, Black Lives Matter, the war in Ukraine, or the beauty of the cosmos as the telescope hurtles through space and shows us pictures of things we've never seen before. And interestingly, even in our most esoteric and intellectual conversations we have, very often stories are told and at the moment it might be about a friend or a cousin or your electricity bill uh, this month or last month, something you've seen that shaped life today. Stories in our society, stories in our communities, in our families, our own stories shape our lives. I think that's partly why Facebook and Instagram and theater and movies are so popular, because we see stories, we get to tell stories. The World Bank is aware of this. They collect huge amounts of data. But a guy called Bruce, Bruce Widdick said this In the battle for the hearts and minds of human beings, stories will consistently outperform data in their ability to influence human thinking. And of course, it means then it becomes very important about which stories we allow to flourish and which stories we don't. Think of the damage in the Rwandan genocide when the Tutsis were called cockroaches on national radio to inspire their extermination. Or think of the narratives of racial superiority in South Africa that inspired apartheid. Or perhaps think of those who live lives, perhaps we find ourselves living lives, we can find ourselves continually whining or complaining at things. Or that person who you know who lives with such pain because a parent or a teacher told them they're useless, you'll never amount to anything. And the power and grip so destructively it can have on lives. Or think more positively if the film King Richard is true to life, how powerful. Richard, the father of Serena and Venus, was in his narrative of you will be great tennis stars. Uh, and perhaps Serena is the greatest of all time in women's tennis. And I guess it's not surprising when we realize from God's word that the Lord of the universe is a storyteller. The one who created everything and who created us in his image tells stories. And it's not surprising as well that when he tells stories about his activity in our world, he has them written down so that we might know them and remember them and live by them and learn from them, so that we know who he is, what he does, what he longs for. Think in in Israel's history among God's people. Think of the Old Testament God's people, how much the story from Genesis to Deuteronomy shaped their lives and then the reflection on it by the prophets. Or think of the New Testament and the Gospels of Jesus' life and then the Apostles' reflection on it in the letters and Acts and Hebrews. Think again as well what shapes God's people worldwide today, why God's Word is right at the heart of our community as God's people, telling the story of God's great... In fact, Christianity is spread uniquely as the good news, the good story of God's work. And then we engage in it as we come under God's word. Think of baptism, enacting, dying in Christ and rising again. Today, wonderfully, we'll get to join in the story as we remember Jesus' death and resurrection as we celebrate in bread and wine together. Exodus 16 to 18 tells of three months of the story of God's people from when they leave Egypt to when they arrive at Mount Sinai, wandering in the desert. They're recently escaped slaves. They're facing significant challenges and continually, as we do, doubting God, grumbling and complaining And yet through it all, despite their attitude, despite their guilt, God provides in the wilderness. And interestingly, as you read through these stories, there is woven into it a drive to remember what God has done for them. Remember the fact he's provided for them for generations to come so they can trust God. So, for example, the manna will be kept in a jar so it's never forgotten. The place that they receive water is given the name Massa and Meribah because of their quarreling. As you through Numbers, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Ezekiel, Hebrews, those names, those very names are recalled again and again and again, and many other places the story is referenced. When they defeat the Amalekites, you remember with Moses holding up his, his staff, he's commanded by God to write it down so people remember it. It will come up again in Samuel. They build an altar there and name it The Lord is My Banner to remind them how God delivered them. And if you think of Jethro's visit then, it completely reshapes the way that justice is handled within the Israelite community. And beyond that, we have these very chapters today so that we can be shaped by them, so that we can know who God is and know the Lord and his ways. These stories are preserved for us so that we can be encouraged and warned by them and live by them, and also, I think, understand how they help us with a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what are we to learn from Exodus 16 to 18 this morning? Well, I think the first thing that is just so obvious at every single turn is God provides. And he's providing in some of the worst possible situations you can imagine. And I think as you read through these stories, it comes again and again and again so that we'll remember and realize the kind of God we serve and worship. The kind of God who made the universe is the kind of God not who withholds good things from us, but who longs to and loves to provide for us despite the way that we live our lives. And interestingly, in Exodus 16, verse 7, it's even linked to his glory. Part of the glory of God is the fact he is a God who provides. So when the manna comes in the morning, they will see his glory. The whole book of Exodus, if you think about it, God sees their suffering. He hears their groans, and so he delivers them from the Egyptians who are enslaving them. And now in the wilderness, as they hit more challenges at every turn... He provides. That's the kind of God he is. I think there is a warning in these verses as well that our memories can be manipulated, especially when relationships break down or when we become increasingly discontent with a situation. When we do, the stories we live by are likely to justify our feelings and our responses and the people here who 45 days, who were in day 15 of month two, were crying out because of the oppression, because of slavery, now remember those times as sitting around pots of meat, eating all the food they could possibly want. Again, it's part of a process of hardening your heart, is retelling a story to justify your frustration. I think that's one of the reasons these stories are written down for us. One of the reasons the Bible has been inspired by God's Holy Spirit is so that we have a reference point to God's reality that can't just simply be rewritten in our frustration. We have, if you like, God's version of what he's done in history, which is God's revelation of himself, which protects us from rewriting history, from hardening our hearts when times get tough. Of course, on the other side, when we focus and remember God's faithfulness, when we understand and see again his incredible provision for us, it transforms our lives. And when we testify to it, it transforms the lives of others. So when when Jethro arrives, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, in chapter 18 and verse 8, Moses then recounts, Everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake about all the hardships they'd met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. And Jethro's response to that testimony to God's goodness, as a pagan priest, he comes with offerings to sacrifice to God and then enters in giving Moses help and advice. So I think we learn in these chapters God is a God who provides for his people, even in, perhaps especially in, the wilderness. It happens four times in these chapters. He provides for their daily needs, manna and quail, bread and meat. He's a God who provides for their life when they're thirsting and getting weak because of lack of water, he provides living water for them. He's a God who provides them victory against their enemies, as the Amalekites take the opportunity to advance against this helpless group of escaped slaves. And he's a God who provides justice for his people. As Jethro sees how Moses is going to be worn out and the people aren't going to get justice. And so Jethro suggests how they could be divided up so the people can be fairly heard and cared for. So God provides at every turn. But again, and we will only scratch the surface this morning, I think there's so much more about the nature of the God who provides in these verses. So first, when you come to the manna and the quails, as God provides for their needs, it's interesting that he does it. He could have done it anyway. He does it according to his holiness. So if you read the verses in between, you may remember God provides manna for six out of seven days. And they're to gather enough for one day and if you gather more than one day it goes off the next day except for on the sixth day where they're to collect for the seventh and so the seventh is to be a Sabbath holy to the Lord. God provides according to his holiness. He created in six days and rested on the seventh. He provides manna in six days and rests on the seventh and the community are to do the same as they're his people. They're set apart for him. So God provides according to his holiness. He won't go against his character in the way that he provides for us. You can't ask God to provide something that you know will go against his character and his will and his goodness. So he provides not only out of his sheer generosity, he provides also out of his holiness. Secondly, when God provides water from the rock, there's a fascinating phrase, Exodus 17, verse 6, where God says, I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the, walk, the rock, and water will come out to drink. I think there are, there are two things here. If earlier on, we've seen the glory of God and the holiness of God. Here, it seems that God is going to be personally present as he provides the water of life for them from the rock, And in fact, the Apostle Paul will later reflect in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3 and say they all drank from the the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. So God provides out of his generosity, his holiness, God provides with his personal presence among his people as they ask for water from the rock. Third, when it comes to the Amalekites, Victory is won, and you will notice how the narrative focuses on the hands being raised to heaven all the time. In fact, poor Moses gets, is getting exhausted as the day goes on, and so Aaron and her continue to hold his arms, so the rod in his hands are raised to the throne of heaven, where God provides victory. So God provides victory for his people from his throne room. If you, as you read through Exodus, The rod and the staff are always associated with God's great power and agency. And here it's very clear that it's coming down from God from the throne room. And then the fourth interesting thing in the way that God provides is when it comes to the issue of justice and how God's people and the community receive his justice. And from a modern perspective with regard to law, how do you go about operationalizing a system of divine justice? What does sacred adjudication look like? Can human agency be compatible with divine justice? And I think in these chapters of Exodus, clearly the Bible believes that it is. Human agency is compatible with divine justice. Moses becomes a mediator of the divine decisions. Again, a, interesting. it's a huge turnaround from chapter 2. You remember Moses comes across two Jews fighting and tries to separate them. And their, their response to him is, who made you prince and judge over us? It sends him uh, on the run into the desert. What a change. By Exodus chapter 18, Moses is the mediator of divine decisions. In fact, he seems to be the only mediator. He's the one in chapter 33 who will see God face to face. But by the end of chapter 18, you've got a whole judicial system of people who are trained by Moses in God's ways, who've been chosen as, quotes, capable men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and who hate dishonest gain, as the people who divide into thousands, hundreds, tens. In other words, God provides divine revelation and divine command to bring about justice through human agents. Initially a mediator, training a host of responsible officials. That's the amazing God that we serve and the way that he deals with his people. So to tie these together, these incredible stories preserved in Israel's history, preserved for us even this morning on a different continent at a different time, Thousands of years later, we get to understand the nature of the God whom we worship from the way he's acted in history, a God who provides for the needs of his people according to not just his generosity, but according to his holiness, a God who provides for life, being personally present as that's provided, a God who provides for his people victory from his throne room as he's above all gods and a God who provides justice through a mediator and human agents. This is the God that we worship, and he's the same Lord today as he was all those thousands of years ago, and he loves his people today as he loves them, and even though we grumble like they did, even though we're guilty like they were, he loves and longs to provide in his generosity. But these are not just stories about God acting with his people In all those years ago in Exodus, they were all stories that helped us understand and prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus so that we might know Him and understand Him and worship Him and live for Him. Think about the communion we're going to share shortly together. Remember God providing for the greatest human need our forgiveness. And reconciliation with our creator. Providing eternal life. If you like the story of God to shape all stories. To shape eternity. As we'll worship the lamb looking as though it had been slain. And think again about the stories in, in Exodus. God again for us in Christ provides according to his holiness. He cannot say to us. My character is irrelevant to my provision. He can't sweep rebellion against him under the carpet and all the horrendous things that have gone on in human history. The reason Christ has to die is so that he can die in our place to take the judgment we deserve so we can be forgiven and be reconciled and live in the presence of God. And God provides by being personally present, like he was at that rock. In, he comes down in the Lord Jesus himself, the word made flesh as we'll celebrate at Christmas. And he was the one, in reality then, who took the beating. He's the one that the rod falls on, that the water of life might flow to us. And then when Jesus is resurrected from the dead and we we proclaim his death in anticipation of his return because he's alive today. When he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and his victory becomes our victory. His life becomes our life. So Paul can say, your life is hidden in Christ. We receive every spiritual blessing in him. If you like, it's almost as though as Moses lifted the, the, the staff to the throne room of heaven to receive the victory of God, the Lord Jesus is there. And so the writer to the Hebrews in 4.16 can say this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And for you and I, when the time comes for us to die, which, unless the Lord returns, will happen to everybody, it is simply a passing into the welcoming arms of our Lord Jesus. There is nothing to fear. And then I think, and you can ask me afterwards, I think Jesus is our mediator, like Moses in this passage, He's the one who brings God's word to us, the word made flesh, the gospel of Christ. And then it's through that that the world will receive justice as the gospel goes to the very ends of the earth. So we're not reliant. God's plan isn't simply that Jesus speaks directly to each person in their heart and mind in a dream, writing in the sky, but he sends us out to proclaim the gospel. And the gospel has been proclaimed then down the centuries across the globe, bringing the life-giving justice of God to all those who turn to him. And then that justice of the Lord transforms my life, my family, my community. could even transform a nation, as Jesus says of his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Think of you and I today. We've received the justice of God because Jesus trained his disciples who then trained disciples, who then trained disciples, who then trained disciples, who brought the good news to this land many years ago and then eventually to the person who told the good news to us. What an incredible God we have. What incredible generosity of provision. What an incredible story of his work among humans. This is the story. This is the God to shape our lives, to shape how we see everything, how we live. I think there is a challenge. I found these verses very challenging in preparing them in the last couple of weeks with a question, am I a Mona? Uh, am I basically in my life complaining that my life isn't otherwise? or provision for college isn't otherwise? Am I basically saying to God, God, you haven't given me the life that I deserve, or the things I'd like, don't know what you might be moaning about in your heart this morning to God. I wish I had a better wife or husband. My job isn't the job I'd like it to be. My kids aren't turning out as I hoped. Our house is too old or too cold or now too expensive. I don't like the food. My coffee's cold. Not another rainy day, not another windy day. I missed my train, my bus, my chance. Why doesn't God make my life better? I can't believe I'm still such a sinner or I live with such guilt or such dissatisfaction or I'm such a failure. I don't know what moaning you're tempted to do in your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Or are you a magnifier? What pours out of your heart is love and admiration for God. What a beautiful day. Lord, I know. No rain means no flowers. Thank goodness you did bless me with a gift of marriage. Or thank goodness you have blessed me with a gift of singleness. Thank you that you did entrust me with children Thank you that I have a roof over my head every day. I have a meal every day. Thank you that you love me, despite knowing all about me that so many people don't know and are secrets within my own heart and mind. And yet, Lord, you love me. I thank you. Thank you that you provided the Lord Jesus to reconcile me to yourself, not now, but for all eternity. And there's nothing I did for it. And you love me, despite the fact I still let you down. Thank you for this church that we can meet in together. Thank you for the community of friends I have midweek. Thank you for prayer meetings. Thank you for cake sale day. Thank you for the work I do have. Thank you for the friends and the family you've given me. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel I have to to tell friends. I think these verses are written as a warning. In fact, it's picked up like that uh, in Hebrews and in Corinthians as it reminds us of the whining around the water and Massa and Meribah, if today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in the desert. It's a dangerous thing to harden your heart. It's a dangerous thing to live a life of moaning against God. Sadly for the Israelites, despite God's provision again and again and again, it seems as though they get into a pattern of moaning that determines the the way that they live And so when they get to the very edge of the promised land that God has given them, they've made it all the way across the wilderness. When the spies go in, if you remember, most of the spies just see giants in the land and insurmountable problems yet again, rather than the power and the grace of God and his provision. And that whole generation die in the desert. That's why I think partly it's written down as a warning to us. I think for us this morning, we have a great opportunity now to come with great gratitude in our hearts. An opportunity in quiet in a moment uh, when I close in prayer to repent and to ask God to forgive us for our moaning and the grumbling that goes on against him uh, in our lives. Pray the Lord in his mercy wouldn't allow us to harden our hearts. But there's a tremendous opportunity to again come with great, great gratitude for God's love for us, God's provision for us at such great cost. To remember again what Christ has done in dying for us. As we take the bread in a few minutes and listen again to those words that he said, this is my body which is given for you. Such is the generous provision of God. This is my blood, the blood of a new covenant that is shed for you. So may our hearts be filled with peace and gratitude and hope that comes from God's generous, holy, personal, loving provision for us in Christ. What an incredible privilege it is to know this God and to receive his provision and his goodness in our lives. Amen let's take a moment of quiet um, just to do business with God in your own heart Uh, there may be things you want to say sorry to the Lord again this morning Uh, it might be you want to just take a moment to thank God which you haven't done for a while for so many good things that he's he's given you even this last week and then perhaps a prayer that as we come to this table he again brings us with great sense of gratitude and strengthens us in our service of him this morning Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you that you are a God who provides. Lord, even when we often whine and grumble and are so dissatisfied with the life you've given us. uh, Lord, when we rebel against you and are sinful and the deep secrets in our hearts of things that we've done. Thank you, Lord, that you still accept us, forgive us, provide for us, love us in Christ. Lord, we pray that you might strengthen us in your service. And Lord, the the life our story uh, the, the story our life tells would be your story of goodness and provision in Christ. Lord, this week as we meet friends and colleagues and families, maybe in the workplace, maybe at a school gate, maybe in a group that we're a part of. Lord, may your story of provision for your world for us spill out of our hearts and our lives and our mouths. Lord, may we be like Moses speaking to Jethro. And Lord, now as we come to this table, as we get an opportunity to think upon your sacrifice, fill our hearts with praise and thanksgiving at your deep, deep love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.